So let's turn our Bibles. I invite you to turn your Bibles now to the Gospel of Luke chapter 11. The Gospel of Luke chapter 11. If you are joining us now today for the first time, we are busy with a mini-series on prayer. And uh, this sermon is the part two of the series. Uh, last week we looked at the example of Christ, what we could learn from His example to always pray in solitude, to pray without ceasing, and to pray in the Holy Spirit. And um, today we're going to look at the command of Christ to pray, um, that He commands us to pray, but specifically how to pray. This is what we're going to look at. We're going to look at the Lord's Prayer um, in um, Luke 11 from verse 1. And we're only going to read the first four verses together. So let's read together um, the first four verses of Luke 11. And remember as we read this, that this is the words of God. This is God's word to you this morning. So let us listen. Let us incline our hearts and our ears to God's word. Let's listen. Luke 11 verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us how to pray. Teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. That's the reading of God's word. Let's just humble ourselves before God and let's pray. Let's ask for his help even now. Let's pray. Father, we call upon your name and we thank you and we praise it. That you are the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There is no one like you. There are no other gods besides you. You are the only and the living God. Thank you that we have a hope in you. That our hope is alive. For Jesus not only died for our sins, but he rose again from the dead. So that we can trust in a living Savior. One who is alive, seated at the right hand of the Father. Father, we praise your name that you are the God of nature. You are the God of all the, the universe. You are the one who is letting it rain right now. You give us so many undeserved goodness and blessings. Lord, you are patient and a trustworthy God. Thank you that you are slow to anger with us and that you spare our lives so that we might repent of our sins and know you better and deeply. And Father, we want to confess our sins this morning. Father, forgive us for our prayerlessness. Father, forgive us for seeking other things above you. Father, forgive us for, for seeking our identity in, in something or people that cannot satisfy us. Lord, we want to lay down our idols before you. And we ask you, Lord, to help us to cut off our hands and to pluck out our eyes if it's causing us to stumble. Lord, give us a clean heart. Create in us a clean heart, O God. And renew in us a right spirit to follow you and to obey you and to be holy as you are holy. Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus that washes us clean from every sin. Lord, help us never to take your grace for granted, but to rejoice in it. To be so joyful and grateful for your boundless mercy that you just freely give us in Christ. And make, it, make us then to fear your name. Cause us that your grace should cause us to, to hate our sin and to obey you even more quicker than we do, Father. 
So Lord, please come now as we pray. We, I pray that you will use your word to teach us now, Lord. Help us to understand what it means to pray, that we might pray in a way that glorifies your name. Father, let your name be glorified even in this sermon and even as we listen now to your words. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved, imagine you could ask the Lord this question. Lord, will you please teach me how to pray? Imagine you could go right now into heaven before the Lord, before Jesus and ask him, Lord, please just teach me how to pray. Wouldn't that be amazing? Imagine the kind of secrets for prayer that you will discover. Imagine what you will hear from the very words of Jesus himself about prayer, about how to pray. I mean, that, if, if you could get that conversation, you could write a, a book about it, right? And sell it and, and you will be famous because you will have the very words of Jesus on prayer, on how to pray. Wouldn't that be amazing? Well, I'm sure some of you know where I'm going with this because that's exactly what we have in Luke, in Matthew 6. We have the very words of Jesus about how to pray. Jesus taught his disciples how to pray and by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it is given to you and me today as well. Jesus will speak to you right now through the Spirit, through his word on how to pray. So he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let us pay attention to these words and let us treasure them for they are the very words of Jesus who is God himself. So we have set the stage for our prayer lives last week about praying in solitude, praying without ceasing, and also praying in the Spirit. But today we'll be studying the command of Christ to pray. And here specifically, this very well-known prayer, namely the Lord's Prayer. But that's really a deceiving uh, title because this was not His prayer. This was the prayer He gave for the disciples to pray. So a more accurate title would be, the disciples' prayer. The disciples' prayer. And beloved, how thankful we should be for this. Our Lord did not just tell us to pray. They didn't just say, go and pray. He actually tells us how to pray. What a wonderful blessing and privilege we have to pattern our prayers upon, upon His commands. So notice with me the setting of our, of our text. Look at verse 1. Luke, Luke 11 verse 1. It says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him. So again, what do we see Jesus doing? Jesus does what he's been always doing, right? He prays, and he prays alone. He's like Daniel. When his enemies wanted to know where he was, they knew where to find him, on his knees. That, that's, that's where Daniel's going to be. He's going to be praying. And the same thing with Jesus. When they wanted to know where Jesus was, there he is, praying. Praying alone. And this time, Jesus did this so often that it, it, it actually inspired a question by one of his disciples. One of his disciples were looking at Jesus, probably wondering and thinking, Jesus is always praying. That's just what he does. I wonder how he prays. And I wonder if he could teach us how to pray. That would be amazing, right? And so by God's providence, he did ask. Look at the rest of verse 1. 
He said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. So to teach your disciples how to pray seems like a very rabbi thing to do. John did it. So Lord, will you please do that for us? Answer, an abundant yes. Yes, let me teach you. Jesus says at the beginning of verse 2, And he said to them, When you pray, say. When you pray, say. So here we need to realize what's the purpose of this prayer. Jesus says these are the words, the type of words we need to use when we pray. Matthew 6 verse 9 is a bit more clear. He says, pray then like this. Pray then like this. Meaning in this way or in this pattern you must pray. So this doesn't mean that we should just take this prayer and pray it verbatim, word for word, and then we're done. Unfortunately, many people think like that. Some people think it's like a magic prayer. You just say, recite. And when you've done reciting, you're done. You don't have to pray anything else. But that cannot and that is not what Jesus means because even Jesus didn't always pray like this. Jesus used different words when he prayed on different occasions. So rather, this prayer is more like a guide for us. This prayer provides direction for our prayers. It's the priority of our prayers and to serve as a kind of an outline for our prayers. You could almost say this prayer is like a fence to keep our wandering thoughts inside. Right? So, I don't know about you. It so often happens to me when you want to pray and you just feel like your mind is so busy. It just runs away with you. It feels like you, you, you're not, you don't even know what you're saying or what you're praying for. But following this is like a fence to keep all your thoughts inside to pray and to flourish. Um, in inside so that's what this prayer is all about it's to provide a guide a, a, a direction and a priority for our prayer life so now let's listen to this prayer once again listen to this prayer in verse 2 it says father hallowed be your name your kingdom come give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation now, some of you might be listening to this and say, you, you are noticing that the ESV or some of our modern translations are shorter than the normal Lord's Prayer that we know in Matthew. Matthew gives the full Lord's Prayer or the Disciples' Prayer, you could say. Here, you, did you notice like a, a couple of key phrases are missing? For example, our Father who is in heaven, the in heaven isn't there. Your will be done as, as in um, heaven so on earth is not there and also deliver us from the evil one is excluded but if you read like the older translations like king james you will notice that this full prayer is even in luke so you might wonder what what's going on here what's going on with our text why is it shorter um, let me just clarify by saying that this is not some kind of a conspiracy by our modern translations to delete certain verses of the bible you will notice that sometimes there comes these whatsapps and these these, these ideas that our modern translations are purposefully trying to take away some of God's attributes or who God is or some key thoughts about Jesus' deity. But that is not the truth. That is not what our modern translations are doing. Because if they really wanted to delete these type of things, it wouldn't be anywhere, right, in this translation. And yet, in Matthew, we have the full version in our modern translations. So this is not a, some kind of a, trans, a conspiracy theory by our translation to try to delete 
certain verses in our Bibles. Rather, what our modern translations are doing are trying to be faithful to what Luke actually wrote. What Luke actually wrote. And that's because our modern translations are based on more reliable manuscripts, or you could almost say more and a more an abundance of manuscripts, which the, our translators in the past did not possess. So we are very blessed to, to actually look at these and have the and know even more clearer what did Luke write at the beginning. And just to, just to give a one comment on why some uh, why this would be shorter and not maybe longer, right? Is because the scribes. What the scribes did when they were copying the Gospel of Luke from other manuscripts, they would come to Luke 11 and feel, this is not sufficient. Let me try to fill it in. Let me harmonize Luke with Matthew. That's what some, some scribes did. They felt like, this isn't enough. Like, let me fill in the gaps, right? Um, or they might have come to Luke 11 and see, oh, this is, the, this is the Lord's Prayer and know it so well that they would just start reciting it. So they wouldn't really look at the manuscript. They would just start reciting it from memory because it's such a well-known prayer. Um, therefore, and so that's, that's called scribal errors. That's called scribal, um, you know, the scribes tended to add things, not to delete things, right? So that's what the scribes did. And our modern translations just want to be faithful. So I think our modern translations are accurate. I think this prayer, like we have it in Luke, the shorter version is actually Luke's version. Alright, so I think that's what we have here. Now, if this is true, if the shorter version, the one we have it as in the ESV, is Luke's version, then already here we can learn a principle for prayer. Here's a principle for prayer. The fuller or the shorter version of the Lord's Prayer are both acceptable to the Lord. Meaning, sometimes you can pray the Lord's Prayer in 10 minutes. Other times you can pray the Lord's Prayer in an hour. Using it as an outline. So it doesn't really matter how long or how short you make this prayer. The, the important thing is our hearts. The Lord sees our hearts. And because He sees our hearts, it is our hearts that He desires. And therefore we should give Him our hearts, not just some formal reciting of a prayer. So, right? So use it as an outline, but then pray within it. So the outline of this prayer is actually very simple. It begins... With God's glory, God's name, and God's kingdom, God's love. And then secondly, it moves to our needs and our... So it begins with God and it ends with our needs as well. Just like the Ten Commandments. Remember the Ten Commandments? It's also the first half is about God's um, loving God. And the second half is about loving your neighbor. In the same way, we begin by loving God and then loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. So let's begin by the first half about focusing on God. And there are specifically three things we need to pray for when we, or meditate upon, when we focus on God. Number one, the first thing we pray for, the first thing we meditate upon is God's love. God's love. Look at verse two. The first word of the prayer is so important. First word says, Father. Father. When we call God father it is a reminder of our adoption our adoption no one of us was born into the family of god we were born into the kingdom of darkness as a child of the devil enemies of god under the wrath of god but when we call god our father it's a reminder that we have been transferred out of that kingdom into his kingdom we have been adopted into his family it's a reminder that we were dead in our sins and made alive together with christ 
It is a reminder that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should be forgiven and redeemed and adopted. It's also a reminder that this was God's eternal plan to save us. Listen to Ephesians 1 verse 5. It says, He predestined us for adoption. God predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. This was predestined. This is what God wanted for us from all of eternity. And that relationship, this relationship that you have with God as your father, is a relationship established by grace. This, you could not do this. You could not earn this position into God's family as his child. This has, had to come from God. God, just like any adoption, God had to step in and adopt you. Right? He had to pluck you out of the fire, out of hell, out of your sin and make you his child. Beloved, when you pray this first word, Father, don't move on until you believe it. Until, don't move on, don't begin to pray about anything until you are convinced that God loves you. That you are his child. That God, like a father, is inclined to listen to you and to to bless you and to help you. This is so important. Remember this picture in verse 11 when you pray, Father. Look at verse 11. It says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? You see, God is inclined to give you good gifts. Because even we as evil parents know how to give good gifts to our children. And that's what you must believe and meditate and think upon when you pray. God wants to listen to you. And you can open your heart. Think about that wonderful privilege. What a wonderful privilege to call God Almighty. The creator of the heavens and the earth. The one who is sovereign over all things, the nature, and who governs the governments, establishes kings and rulers, the author of life and death, to call that God your Father, our Father. How would you pray if you really believed that? How would you pray if you really believed that God is your Father? That's the first thing. We need to pray for and think about and meditate upon is that God is our Father. Second thing we pray for or, or meditate upon is God's glory. So God's love. Secondly, God's glory. Look at this, the next phrase. It says, Father, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. That word hallowed simply means to sanctify or to set apart your name as holy. God's name is another way to refer to all of his attributes. When we talk about God's name, we think about who he is and what he is like. We think of him, his holiness, his faithfulness, his power, his sovereignty, his patience, his love, his omniscience, whatever. God's name is who he is. So the basic meaning of this prayer is to ask God that his name might be treated with reverence, that his name might be exalted into in the earth, that it, his name might not just be used as a common name like we do with other things. The NET actually translates it correctly, I think. It says, Father, may your name be honored. May your name be honored. That's, that's a good translation. 
Now that cannot mean that our prayers is making God's name honored and glorious. Because God's name is glorious whether you see it or not. God's name is honored and above all other names whether you believe it or not. So we're not trying to make his name honored. It is honored and we're just trying to reflect it in our lives. And we're asking God to open our eyes and to open people's eyes to be able to see him as he truly is. So it's a way to say, Lord, let people see a true reflection of who you are. When they look at me, when they look at our church, when they look at other believers, when they look at your word, let them see who you are. Open their eyes, Lord. Let your name be held in honor by everyone. And by praying for God's glory to be seen, you're actually indirectly also praying for yourself. So by praying for God's glory to be seen, you're praying for yourself. For example, if you pray, Lord, let your name be honored in my workplace, you're actually praying, Lord, let people, when they look at me, <coughs> excuse me, when they look at me as a Christian, as someone who bears your name, let them see the way you are, right? Let, let the way I work, let the way I deal with people reflect your love, your grace, and your wisdom. When I speak to this, Lord, when I'm going to have this conversation with this person later today, let your name be honored. Let them look at me and the way I speak and the way I treat this person, that they might see you and fear you. Let me, let me not fear this person, let me fear you above this person. Lord, in this family, in my family, for my wife, for my children, my friends, and those around me, let them see your character by the way I, I talk and the way I live. So, beloved, this is the greatest thing you can pray for, for yourself and for other people. Because what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That is your purpose. So by praying for this and for others, you are simultaneously praying for your purpose in life, for your greatest need, and that is God's glory. You see, your greatest need isn't something physical, isn't something in this life, in this world. Your greatest need is to see the glory of God through Jesus. That's your need. That's why you exist. You don't exist for your own glory. You don't exist for your kingdom, your name. You exist for Him and to glorify Him. That's why you are here on earth. So by praying that very first prayer, you are praying for the very most or the most important thing you can pray for. And that's really humbling yourself, right? This is coming below God and saying, God, I, it's not about me. It's about your name and your glory. This prioritizes our hearts, our affections to, to love and to enjoy God. Now, I just want to say personally, when I pray this prayer, when I pray, let your name be honored and in my life, my family's life and in the world, I can't stay long here be, before I'll skip to asking God to forgive me of my sins. Because as I ask God that his character might be shown through my life, I see all the ways that my life is not doing that. And therefore I pray, for example, when I'm impatient with my wife or impatient with my, my children or impatient or irritated with other people, I'm not showing the character of God who is slow to anger. And therefore we should ask God to forgive us for that. When I'm lazy and I do not want to do my work and I'm, I'm just, just procrastinating the whole day, I'm not showing forth how God is like. For God worked six days and on the seventh day he rested. 
And even today, he, he works all the time because he, he's sustaining the world by his power. And that should be our pattern as well. We should, we should work six days, take one day off. That, that should be our pattern as well. But thank God that there's forgiveness, right? That there's grace for us in Jesus. That His grace can cover our sins so that we can become more like the God that we worship and show forth the character of God, especially as we look at Jesus as well. Let me just say one last thing before we move on. To start like this, okay? To start with your name be honored, your kingdom come. To start like this, it's not natural for us. Our natural bent is self is self focused, is inward. It's to say, let my name be honored, let my kingdom come, let my will be done. That's our natural prayer. And often we begin there. Often we just begin and jump in with all our desires and all our um, feelings and things like that. But this prayer, Jesus teaches us we should start right. We should start with God's name, God's kingdom and God's glory. Just like the Bible, when we read the Bible, we should slow down in our prayer life. We should not rush towards our um, requests. But we should slow down and pray and think and meditate upon God's love for us, God's glory, and pray for that. So begin. we must begin our prayers about God's love, His glory. And lastly, we should also begin our prayers with God's kingdom. Look at verse 2 at the end. It says, your hallowed be your name. And then it says, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. When we, when we pray for God's kingdom, we must immediately think about God's king. Jesus. That is God's king. It's his Messiah. It's his anointed. The son of God. The king of kings. And we pray for his kingdom to come. We pray that that king that will rule over all the world, that his kingdom will be fully manifested throughout our lives and throughout this world. So here we're really asking God to st- that Jesus might come back. We are waiting for the full manifestation of God's promised rule. He promised he's going to rule and we're asking him to do it. We're asking him to come. And I want to say here it will be good for you and me to just meditate upon heaven. When you're asking for God to let his kingdom come, just stop and pause and think about how heaven is going to be like. How it's going to be like to be with Jesus forever. Where he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Where Jesus will destroy death forever. Where there will be no funerals, no death forever. We will have glorious new resurrected bodies on a glorious new physical heaven and earth. On which we will live forever and ever enjoying the Lord forever. Where there will be no more boredom, no more loneliness no more sorrows ever again. There will be no need for masks or for social distancing because there won't be any diseases to do those things for. There won't be anything like that. There won't be any sicknesses or sin to separate us from one another. Just, just meditate on that. Just let those type of thoughts fill your heart and your mind as you praise God for who He is and what He's going to do. And long for Him to come. Then pray and ask for Jesus to come back and to establish that type of rule in this world. One practical way to pray this as well is what we see in chapter 10. Look at chapter 10 verses 1 to 2. Luke 10 verse 1 to 2 says, 
After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of them, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So although we are praying ultimately for that great return, we also pray for the lost that God's kingdom might be established in their hearts, that they might submit to King Jesus, that God might send out more laborers. Remember, it's his harvest, it's his laborers um, into his har- yeah, so to send them out into his harvest. This, this belongs to God. God is sovereign over those who are going and, and those who are saved. But yet, God uses prayer to do that. So this is an amazing thing where we see God is sovereign, but yet... He uses ordinary prayers to accomplish His will. So we should be praying, asking God to send out laborers. And we also learn the second thing. Not just does He use prayers, He uses people. So as we pray, we know He uses prayer and He uses people like you and me to establish His kingdom through preaching the gospel. So that's what we pray. We're praying that God might send out more laborers. We pray for evangelism to flourish in our our neighborhood we pray for our pastors for our elders for for other church leaders we pray for christian engineers and doctors and mechanics to go into those fields where no other missionary will be able to go so wherever you are at you are a christian sent by god into that harvest to show the light to share the gospel and to be an example of what it means to be a follower of christ beloved that's what we pray So this is how we should begin. We begin by meditating on God's love for us, God's glory, His name, His attributes, and then lastly also for His kingdom to come and to come even now as we wait for His return. Remember that promise. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and then all these things will be added to you. And that leads us to our second point. So not... Now we move from God and His priorities. We pray now for our needs. Second, That's the second part of the prayer. So first we focus on God. Now we focus on our needs. Um, and the first thing we pray for is our physical needs. To pray for any physical needs or desires. Look at verse 3. Give us each day our daily bread. So we pray for our physical needs and we pray for... Each day our daily bread. Did you know there's actually something different here um, than in Matthew's gospel. So Matthew's gospel says, give us, what? This day our daily bread. While Luke says, give us each day our daily bread. So it's a small difference. So Matthew focuses on our immediate needs. So right now, what do you need from God? Pray. Ask that. But Luke says, look also to God for your future needs. Each day... We must look to God for our daily bread. So I love it. So we should both look to God for our short-term needs, but also for our future needs as well. Lord, please guide or direct or give or provide this or that that's coming up in the future for me. I need you. I need your guidance. I need your wisdom over this situation, over this issue. Our future plans, our future hopes, our future desires must be given to God. And we must rely upon Him to provide for us in those practical needs. 
just like uh, even a single man right can pray for his future wife or his future husband to ask God to really provide them with that husband and that wife that they need. We can pray for that. Pray for a job and pray for direction. If you don't know what you're going to do in the next three months or four months, you can really pray and ask God to give you that type of direction and to have ears to hear. So when God shows you, not to say, oh no, I don't want to do that. Okay, To be open for that as well as you pray. Beloved, just like the first half, those three things we prayed for in the beginning is a humbling thing. This prayer, to give us our daily bread, is also a very humbling thing to do. Because by praying this, you are acknowledging that you are dependent on God for your bread. And therefore, everything else. Right? You are completely dependent on God for your food and for everything. Remember what James 4 said about those who, who were boasting about tomorrow and saying, tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and do this and that. Remember what James told us how to think about our lives, our daily existence. Listen to James 4.15 carefully. And I, wanna, I want you to answer this question. Over what and for what are we dependent on God for? So for what are we dependent on God for and over what is God sovereign? Listen to James 4 verse 15. It says, so instead of boasting, he says, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Okay, let me ask you that, this question. How much of your life consists of living and doing this or that? Is it only like some part of your life that you are alive and doing something? Or is it really all of your life that you are alive and doing something? And James says, over those two things, we must say, if the Lord wills, we will do that and live. Meaning, not just for your bread are you dependent on God, but really for everything in your entire life, you are completely and utterly dependent on God to provide you. And that's why it's humbling. It's humbling to say, God, I am not in control of my future. I'm not in control of my life. We are 100% dependent on God for 100% of our lives. Energy, food, clothes, our travel plans, our future plans, um, working, evangelizing. Think about anything in your life and you are dependent on God for that thing. This is, what, this is what it means to pray what Psalm 127 said. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. So yet, so just remember, that's what it means to, to pray for our daily bread, to look to God for everything. But at the same time, this is where the Bible is so amazing. Because at the same time, we are 100% dependent on God. And yet, we need to be 100% responsible to then go and earn our daily bread. So we pray for our daily bread. And then we go out and work for our daily bread. Okay. Remember what 2 Thessalonians 3, Paul said this to those who just sat on the roof waiting for Jesus to return, saying, no, we don't have to work because Jesus will come. 2 Thessalonians 3, 7 says, For you yourselves know 
how you ought to imitate us. Because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. So Paul could have said, hey, this is the Lord's providing us our daily bread. But Paul says, no, we, we didn't eat anybody's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right. They could have used that right. But to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, if you're not willing to work, let him not eat. Let him not eat. That's a command from the Lord. If you don't want to work, you shouldn't eat. Because the way God has established for us to earn and to live is to work hard for our daily bread. So do you see, there's this tension. You could call it tension, but it's really complementary truths. We depend on God for everything, our life, our breath, and our energy. And then we use that life and energy and breath to go and work and be disciplined to, to provide as well. So yes, putting those two things together. We need what we call, what Jerry Bridges calls, dependent discipline. That's, what, that's a summary of what I'm trying to say. What we need is dependent discipline. While we are disciplined, we are dependent on God to provide us the strength, the energy, the success of our future plans. That's what it looks like to practically trust and obey God. So I just want to say, when we pray for this, when we pray for our daily bread, we can really pray for anything and everything. Anything and everything that's on your heart, you can pray. Pray freely about your desires, about your hopes, your needs your dreams, your worries, what is on your heart and pray about that. And I don't think that will be anything wrong with this. I don't think this will be selfish because we began with God's name and God's glory. If you begin there, your heart tends to reorient to be focused on him. So you won't ask for an idol. You won't ask for something sinful. I don't think we, will, we won't fall into that trap of James 4 verse 3 that says you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. I don't think we will fall there simply because we have started right by prioritizing God's name and God's kingdom and his love. So pray for everything. <laughs> pray for anything. Don't hold anything back. God already knows the depths of your heart. You can't surprise him with something shocking. Even if it's something that you really battle with, pray about that because God knows that. And also here, when we pray for our needs, we also pray for others' needs as well. Because remember, the text says it's in the plural. It doesn't say, give me my daily bread. It says, give us each day our daily bread. So when we pray here, we can also pray for our church family, for, for one another. We pray for other people. We pray that God might provide for them, that God might help them and heal them and be with them. Right. So we also pray for one another. So that's why we pray. And when we pray for ourselves, we pray firstly for our physical needs. And lastly, let's close together by looking and praying then for our spiritual needs. So there's a physical side we need to pray for. But then also we need to pray for our spiritual needs. Look at verse 4. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. So here we just think about our sin. We think about our 
falling short of God's glory and we pray and we ask God to forgive us, to cleanse us. But what I find interesting is he immediately connects it to our forgiveness for other people. He says, forgive us for we have forgiven others. It's almost like on that basis, forgive us. And Matthew, Matthew's gospel expands this idea for us. Matthew 6 verse 14 to 15 says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That is how seriously God takes forgiveness. We ask God to forgive us in the same way we forgive other people. If we don't want to forgive other people, God will not forgive us. If we forgive others, God will forgive us. It's like saying, Lord, you know how I forgave that person? You know? Will you please forgive me in the same way? That's really what this prayer also looks like, practically. Now, I just want to say, in our context, in our lives, there is a massive difference between forgiving somebody from the heart and reconciling with that person because they repented. So there's a difference between that. We can forgive someone by letting go of our bitterness, letting go of our anger, our revenge for that person, letting that go and giving that to God, saying, I am willing to reconcile and I'm not going to hold this against you. It's like praying, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. Right? So that's part of that forgiveness, having a forgiving heart. But then reconciliation is when that person must repent. If that person doesn't want to repent or stop the sin that they're doing, then you can't really reconcile with them. You can't really have a relationship with them again. So there must first come repentance before there can be reconciliation. So I just want to say that to clarify, forgiveness doesn't mean that you should always reconcile with someone because sometimes people don't want to repent. But forgiveness does mean that you are always ready to reconcile when they repent so in other words forgiveness isn't i've heard so many times people say this you know when they talk about other people they say i forgive that person but i never want to talk to that person again i forgive him i'm not holding a grudge but i just never want to see that person again i just never want to talk to him or her again that's not forgiveness that's bitterness okay imagine if god forgave you like that Imagine if God forgave you. Like, imagine if God said, you know what? I'm going to forgive you, but I'm never going to talk to you again. I'm, you are not allowed into my presence. You are out, but you're forgiven. I'm not holding a grudge, but you are out. Away from my presence. Is that how God forgives us? No, when God forgives, he, he forgives his enemies, right? He forgives us while we were in rebellion against him. And then he's open for that reconciliation if there is repentance, the same way for us, we should be forgiving and we should be ready to reconcile, but we should then long for that repentance to happen first, that there should be reconciliation. So that's the, the first thing of our spiritual lives we should pray for. Lord, please forgive me. So we're thinking of our sins primarily <laughs> as we have forgiven or for we have forgiven those who, who sinned against us. Um, and that's what we should boldly pray then to the Lord. And then lastly, but not just that, we shouldn't just pray for our forgiveness. We should pray secondly to stop the very sin that we did. So there's a prayer for forgiveness and then there's a prayer to not be led into that same temptation. I think this is a, a prayer that we often neglect. Look at verse 4 at the end. It says, and lead us not 
into temptation. Lord, let us not fall into that same sin that I did yesterday or that I did now. Lord, please deliver me from the evil that is in me and around me. Let us walk in holiness and obedience. Brother, brothers and sisters, this is the other side of repentance. I think, and this is a mistake that I make often, is I often just stop with asking God to forgive me. And then, then it's over. But that's not, that's half of the repentance. The other half of it is to say, Lord, please let me not do it again. Let me not fall into that same patterns and habits of sin again. Deliver me from this. Listen to Psalm 19 verse 12. The psalmist really prayed like this often. Psalm 19 verse 12 says, Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. But then it says, Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Sins I do willingly. Sins I do with a high hand. Presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Let not my sin have dominion over me, Lord. Free me from this. Psalm 25 verse 4, it says, Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. Lord, teach me how to obey. Teach me in this area where I'm sinning and falling to obey you. It wasn't enough for the psalmist just to pray for forgiveness. They were seeking for obedience. John Flavel in his book, um, Keeping the Heart, shows us that he gives us a couple of extra steps to take after we've prayed for forgiveness about how we should protect our hearts from future sins. So the first thing he says, not just pray for forgiveness, but pray for a, the grace for a new heart, a clean heart. David said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew within me a willing spirit. So change this heart. Lord, here is the problem. Here is the reason why I'm sinning. It's this heart. It's Rian's heart. Why I'm doing what I'm doing. So change me, Lord. Give me a clean heart. He wrote this example. Listen to this prayer. He says, Oh, for a better heart. Oh, for a heart to love God more, to hate sin more, to walk more evenly with God. Lord, deny not to me such a heart. Whatever thou deny me, give me a heart to fear thee, to love and delight in thee. If I beg my bread in desolate places. He said, Lord, even if I have to beg for bread, deny me not this, to have a heart that loves you and hates my sin. Better to beg for bread than to sin with riches. Sin is that terrible. That's the first thing. Pray for a, a new heart. Pray for a changed heart. Secondly, after you've asked for forgiveness, make a strong commitment or resolution or decision not to repeat that same sin again. Make it a constant and willful decision. Remember what Jesus says? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Be, be diligent over those future circumstances that might lead you into the same sin. So here you need to ask things like this. What, what do I need to practically change to stop this sin? What circumstances do I need to avoid if I am to avoid that sin? What needs to be cut off or plucked out of my life if I am to not sin like this again? Like Job, we need to learn how to make specific commitments over our specific sins. Remember what Job said in Job 31, verse 1, over his lust? He really said, I have made a covenant with my eyes, 
How then could I gaze upon a virgin? Think about it. I've made a, pro- I've made a covenant with my eyes. I'm not going to look at another woman, stare at another woman. That's the type of commitment we should make, serious resolution we should make to stop sinning. Thirdly, we need to have, after change for a new heart, a commitment to not do it again, we need to have a constant jealousy over our hearts, a jealousy over our hearts. Meaning we should constantly focus on the state of our hearts. If our hearts are needy or bored or lazy or lustful or envious, or angry or irritated, when we start seeing that in our hearts and we feel the affections of our hearts breaking out and starting to run loose with us, we need to ask ourselves, Oh my soul, are you doing well by breaking loose like this? We should take those affections and put them down immediately. We should put them down as soon as we can. Submit themselves under the Bible, under God, and bring them under control. For that, we need God's strength. We can't do this on our own. We need God's strength to keep our hearts um, clean and, and for God. And then lastly, Flavel says, we need to have a constant awareness of the presence of God. So as we walk then out of our prayer life into the world, we have to have a constant awareness that God is everywhere. God is, His presence is now where you are right now. He's there. When you stand up after the sermon, He's there. When you go to work, He's there. When you're alone, He's there. Have a constant reminder and be aware of God's presence wherever you are, wherever you go. Remember that He sees our hearts. He sees the intents of our, our thoughts, our motives. He sees all of that. It's naked and exposed to Him. So fear Him. Fear Him. And do not sin again. So beloved, this is what, what a wonderful and amazing prayer we have here. It truly does contain everything we need to pray for. So use this prayer. Use this to, to guide you, to protect your mind, and to pray more seriously to God. This is the disciples' prayer. And let us use it often to guide us and to help us in our prayer lives. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we are so desperate for your grace. We're so desperate for your help. Father, please help us to focus upon your love, your glory, and your kingdom. Help us to set aside time, Lord, to pray for these things. Help us, Father to look to you for our daily needs and not to say we can do this by our own strength because we are powerful, but to depend on you, Lord, for our daily bread and for our each day's bread, Lord. Help us to repent of our sins quickly and to ask you for the mercy and the grace not to sin again. Please, Father, help us. We are so, so needy people. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his mercy. And thank you for this Lord's day that we can rest Be renewed in your presence and work another week for your name's sake. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Beloved, I close for us with 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.